Did you know that nearly 2 million Turning Point radio programs are broadcast each year? Your support enables Turning Point to continue delivering the unchanging Word of God to an ever-changing world. And thanks to our giving challenge, any fiscal year-end gift you give until the end of June will be doubled, up to $100,000. You can help Turning Point finish strong by donating today. Call 800-946-4300 or go to davidjeremiah.ca. Isn't it amazing how a song can change your entire mood or give you peace of mind? or express your heart of worship. That's the power of music. Today on Turning Point, Dr. David Jeremiah reveals how God used that power through young David's music to comfort the king. From the series, The Tender Warrior, here's David to introduce today's message, Saul's Moods and David's Music. You know, I can attest to the fact that music has had an incredible part of my life. I can tell you that uh, hymns, songs, even some secular tunes that have been used in my life to help me through tough times. I remember uh, as a young pastor, my wife had a very serious uh, uh, situation where she passed out and we couldn't get her to come back. And she ended up in the hospital for five days as a result of that. And it was at that time that Andre Crouch had come out with a song, Through It All, I've Learned to Trust in Jesus. I've Learned to Trust in Him. I had, a, believe it or not, back then it was a little cassette tape in my car, and I wore that song out during the time Donna was um, in the hospital. She never had the problem again and never had to worry about it again. But during those days, God used music to speak to my heart, and he's done it for you. And he started doing it a long time ago, believe it or not. That's why we have today this lesson called Saul's Moods and David's Music, how God used David's music uh, to soothe Saul's heart. We'll get to it in a few moments. By the way, this is a part of the Tender Warrior series, The Life of David from the Old Testament. There are two study guides that will take you through this series, and you can get them from davidjeremiah.org. And I hope you will, will do that because it will help you follow along and give you a record of what you've studied. There are places in these study guides for you to get involved in looking up information and making uh, comments and applications to your own life. And then during this month, there's a resource we want you to have. It's called The Focused Life, daily devotional featuring 31 days of reading through the Psalms and Proverbs, five Psalms and then a chapter from Proverbs, five more Psalms and then a chapter from Proverbs. And that way you can read the Psalms, which helps you relate to God, and read the Proverbs, which helps you figure out what's going on on this earth, and you'll be a better person for it. And you can do it in one month. We provide this to you as our way of saying thank you for your gift to Turning Point during this month. Ask for it when you send your gift today. And now, part one of Saul's Moods and David's Music. It was probably the darkest day in my life. It was a day when uncertainty flooded my heart and my mind. My wife had been taken to the hospital suddenly. We knew not why or what the problem was. But she was there for six days undergoing tests, and we did not know what to do. The doctors could give us no counsel. They did not know what was wrong with her. 
And I had no one to whom I could go and, and talk about this because I just didn't know what to say. I'd never been through an experience like that before. I found myself driving around the streets of Fort Wayne in my station wagon uh, with a, a tape in the cassette player, and I locked in upon a song entitled Through It All. And somehow that song God sent to me at that time to minister to my spirit. It was a reminder to me that if we've never had a problem, we'd never know that we could trust him. And that through those experiences, like the one I was experiencing, we've learned to trust in Jesus. We've learned to trust in him. I don't know if it was the melody or the music, but God used that tape, that cassette, to help me in a time when I was discouraged. I look back on my life, and I've had some dark days, as many of you have. And I can almost tell you that at this particular time, at this particular place, when I was facing some difficulty in my life, God used a song. God used a tape. God used the ministry of our choir or some musician to speak to my heart. Music is a powerful tool. It is not simply the preface to our ministry here it is the very purpose of our ministry. Our purpose is to glorify God and to enjoy Him forever. And one of the things we point to in all of our ministry is to the praise and worship of our Lord. It is unfortunate that in so many churches today, music has become the prelude to the main thing. And we have lost sight of its ministry even within our worship in our churches. But music has a personal ministry as well. Music can touch the heart that is discouraged. It can be a vehicle to express the great gladness that we have over some wonderful thing God has done for us. Music, in many respects, is a therapy for the soul. I don't know who said it first, but it's become rather well known that music has charms to soothe the savage breast, to soften rocks, to bend a knotted oak. Music does that. Music can break aside all of the stress and difficulty that has come into your life. Open your Bibles at any one given time and hold it in your hand and open it right open to the middle and you will open to the center of the Word of God, which is God's hymn book. There you will find 150 songs that he included in the scripture so that we would have a means to express ourselves to the Lord. As we begin our study today in these last verses of the 16th chapter, it's quite evident that music is very much a part of it. But we don't jump in right where the music begins. We see this chapter as it is contrasted. For instance, in the first half of the chapter, we see David ready to rule. But when we come to the second half of the chapter, he's ready to serve. He's standing before Saul. In the first part of the chapter, we're told that the Spirit of God enters David, but the Spirit of the Lord leaves Saul. In the first part of the chapter, David is anointed with holy oil. In the second part of the chapter, Saul gets an evil spirit. In the first part of the chapter, David is accepted of God, and here in the second part, we see him now accepted by Saul. In the first part of the chapter, David is tending his sheep. But in this part of the chapter, David is playing his harp. This is a most unusual story, for it begins with a very difficult passage of Scripture for some people to comprehend. 
It begins with the record, number one, of the intruding spirit. The intruding spirit. Notice, but the spirit of the Lord departed from Saul, and an evil spirit from the Lord troubled him. Many have questioned how that could be. An evil spirit from God troubling the soul of a man who once had God's spirit? I think we must see the context for this whole event as we look back into the 15th chapter and recognize that something had happened in Saul. Something had happened in Saul to change the way God was going to use him. In the 15th chapter of the book of 1 Samuel, verses 1 to 3, we have God's command to Saul concerning a particular action that he was to take. And we read, Samuel also said unto Saul, The Lord sent me to anoint thee to be king over his people, over Israel. Now therefore hearken thou unto the voice of the words of the Lord. Thus saith the Lord of hosts, I remember that which Amalek did to Israel, how he laid wait for him in the way when he came up from Egypt. Now go and smite Amalek. Now watch carefully the specific instructions. And utterly destroy all that they have and spare them not, but slay both man and woman, infant and suckling, ox and sheep, camel and ass. Now you cannot get more specific in a command than that word from God to Saul. The problem is that when Saul heard that command, he did not take it seriously, and he compromised his obedience. So that we read in verse 9 of the same chapter, But Saul and the people spared Agag and the best of the sheep and of the oxen and of the fatlings and the lambs and all that was good and would not utterly destroy them but everything that was vile and refuse that they destroyed utterly what Saul did is what we often do if we are not careful he took God's command and interpreted it according to his own preference he decided that maybe God really didn't understand what he was talking about when he said to kill all of them and so he killed all of the bad things and kept all of the good things. He compromised his obedience to God. And when Samuel came to confront Saul about his disobedience, Saul lied and said, I have done what the Lord told me to do. And Samuel answers in a rather humorous phrase, Well, then why do I hear this bleeding of the sheep and the bang of the lambs? If you've killed them all, why are they making noise? And verse 22 of this chapter we discover that the result of Saul's disobedience is this hath the Lord as great delight in burnt offerings and sacrifice as in obeying the voice of the Lord behold to obey is better than sacrifice and to hearken than the fat of rams for rebellion is as the sin of witchcraft and stubbornness is as iniquity and idolatry because thou hast rejected the word of the Lord he hath also rejected you, Saul, from being king. And then we read in the 16th chapter in verse 14 that the spirit of the Lord departed from Saul and an evil spirit from the Lord troubled him. When Saul disobeyed God, God's spirit was taken away from him. And in the absence of the spirit of God, a distressing or troubling spirit from the Lord came to fill that cavity in his life. Matthew Henry, the great uh, commentator, has written that they that drive the good spirit away from them do, of course, become prey to the evil spirit. 
If God in his grace does not rule us, sin and Satan will take possession of us. There is such a thing as a sovereignty of space within the heart of a believer. And if we do not give that space to God and to grace, then Satan and sin will begin to fill it. And the Bible says God took his spirit away from Saul. Now I realize that theologically that's a very troubling thought because we have always been taught that can't happen. How could God take his spirit away from us? And I think theologically we need to get this all straightened out. And I'll explain why. The spirit of God has not always functioned as he does today. In fact, we are told in the second chapter of Acts that on the day of Pentecost, God's spirit came down and indwelt the body of Christ, which is the church. Starting with Acts 2 in the New Testament, every single Christian is permanently indwelt with the Holy Spirit. You could not lose the Holy Spirit in your life as a believer, as a Christian. It is not possible. You cannot lose the Spirit of God who has come to live within you. He has come to be permanently a part of you. He indwells you forever. But it was not so in the Old Testament. In the Old Testament, the Spirit of God did not come to permanently indwell those that we would qualify as believers, but he selectively and temporarily indwelt them for service. And it was often the case that we see the Spirit of God selectively indwelling servants of the Old Testament and then being removed from them. Remember Samson? When Samson was compromising his life with Delilah and she finally cut off all of his hair and the Bible says that Samson got up and he would go out and shake things as he did before but Samson wist not that the Lord had departed from him. What happened? Samson compromised his righteous walk with God and God took the spirit of empowerment away from him and he was just like a normal man. When David sinned with Bathsheba, he wrote in Psalm 51:11, he said, Take not thine Holy Spirit from me. Why? Restore unto me the joy of my salvation. Take not thine Holy Spirit. Because David understood that through sin, he could lose the empowered blessing of the Spirit of God on his life. Turn back in your Bibles to the 10th chapter of 1 Samuel. Let me show you what happened here. When Saul became the king, God gave him a special spiritual empowerment for his job. And it was so, verse 9, that when he had turned his back to go from Samuel, God gave him another heart. And all those signs came to pass that day. And when they came thither to the hill, behold, a company of prophets met him, and the Spirit of God came upon him, and he prophesied among them. That's what happened when Saul became the king. When he was chosen to be the king, God sent his spirit to indwell him and to give him special empowerment for his task. But when Saul disobeyed, God took the spirit away. Now that can't happen to you and to me because we live in a different dispensation. We live in the Pentecost days when the spirit of God has been poured out into our hearts not to selectively indwell us but to permanently indwell us. But listen carefully. In the tribulation period... In the New Testament, in the book of Revelation, we go back to the Old Testament times for the indwelling ministry of the Holy Spirit. And in the tribulation period, the Spirit of God ministers just like he did in the Old Testament. It's a Jewish period. And that's why during that period of time when the Holy Spirit has been removed out of the world because the church has been raptured, 
the Spirit of God still selectively comes upon people and empowers them to witness and makes it possible for them to be saved. Well, this intruding spirit came now to take up the place where God's spirit once had been. And literally what the text says is that this evil spirit was terrorizing Saul. Notice, but the spirit of the Lord departed and an evil spirit from the Lord terrorized him, troubled him. Now the word there is a word which means to overwhelm him. It sounds like uh, Saul would be going along doing everything all right and then he would just be overwhelmed with his evil spirit. It would just come upon him at the most unexpected times and he would be filled with terror and depression and discouragement. Robert Browning has written a poem about Saul and pictures him in his dark tent leaning up against a tent pole and the picture is one of demonic uh, dimensions in many respects. It shows the blackness and the cloud of depression that comes over this man. It's like what we say sometimes when we talk about something we do that we shouldn't do. We say, well, I don't know, something just came over me. Well, this happened to Saul over and over again. This dark spirit came over him and he was depressed. It wasn't rejection. It wasn't necessarily what you and I today might call depression. It was almost like a demonic possession. And the people who were close to Saul recognized something was wrong with him. For we read in verse 15 that Saul's servants initiated the conversation and they came to him and said, you have an evil spirit from God troubling you. You have a problem, Saul. So they make, after we have the intruding spirit, they make an interesting suggestion. Notice verses 15 through 17. Verse 16, they said, Let our Lord now command thy servants, which are before thee, to seek out a man who is a cunning player on a harp, and it shall come to pass when the evil spirit from God is upon thee, that he shall play with his hand, and thou shalt be well. Now, I'd just like to ask you a question, and I don't want you to answer out loud. Did they give Saul good advice? Think about it for a moment. Was that sound counsel on the part of the servants? Saul, what you need is you need a musician to come in and soothe your spirit. Well, as we get to the end of the chapter, we will discover that God used that to refresh Saul. That's true. But was that really what Saul needed? Did Saul need to be refreshed or did Saul need to repent? It seems to me that what they should have said to him had they been godly counselors would have been something like this. They should have said, since it's an evil spirit in you from the Lord, why don't you make peace with God and repent? Why don't you call Samuel to come and pray with you, Saul? Why don't you get right with God? Why don't you deal with the source of the evil spirit and it'll go away? Deal with the source of discouragement and depression. Take care of the reason for the dark cloud and then you will be all right. But it sounds to me like those servants were like uh, humanistic counselors of today, which tell us, don't deal with your problem, just do what you can to so it doesn't hurt so much. <laughs> don't make the problem go away, just sort of cover it up with some assuaging truth, or as many have tried today, find the answer in a bottle, or in drugs, or in some other exotic way of dealing with the pain. Well, they discovered that one of the ways they could deal with the pain of depression in Saul's life was to get a musician. And so they suggested, let's find somebody who's really good, who's a skillful player. Let's find somebody who can come in and play the harp 
Now, I must stop here for a moment and debunk this story from a common conception we have. I've actually seen pictures of David uh, seated on a little stool with his legs straddling the harps that you and I know today. And I've often wondered how in the world he drugged that thing around the hillsides of Bethlehem. Seems to me that would have been rather cumbersome. But it wasn't like that at all. Actually, the word in the text is not the word harp. It's the word lyre, L-Y-R-E. It's a common instrument in the Old Testament, and it was a very interesting instrument. It was made, uh, believe it or not, out of the small intestine of a sheep. And they would take that and stretch it out over a piece of wood that had an empty place in it and attach it to a bracket at the end. And then they would stretch the strings to different tautness, and they would play on those strings with their fingers. So we have the interesting suggestion, and then now we have the inspired selection. Who did they select? They selected David. And I want you to note the resume that was his in verse 18. If you could file a resume like verse 18, you would be rich indeed. Then answered one of the servants and said, Behold, I have seen the son of Jesse the Bethlehemite, that is cunning in playing, a mighty valiant man and a man of war, prudent in matters and a comely person, and the Lord is with him. Now, there are actually six statements about David in that verse, and there are probably five qualifications in the six statements. First of all, the Bible says he was a skillful musician. You may wonder why it's important that those two words go together. But I want to remind you he's being called to play for the king. And if you're going to play for the king, you have to be good. You can't be finding your notes. You can't be trying to figure out what string to pluck at what time. If you're going to play for the king and not cause him to be more depressed than he was before you played, you have to be good. And so they looked for a skillful person. I just can't help but remind you, all of you who minister in the things of music, that we always play for the king. And God expects us to do our best. He's not asking us to be perfect. And surely God knows if we have done our best and we sing a wrong note or play a wrong note, he will accept that as from a heart of love and devotion. But I am afraid that far too often in the church of Jesus Christ, we forget that we are playing for the king and anything will do. I've actually heard people say, well, you need to understand it's just the church. I thank God for the commitment to excellence he has put within the heart of our minister of music and all the people that work with him to be committed to understand that when we play or when we sing, it is for the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords. So they looked for a skillful musician. Then secondly, they said that this man that was going to come to the palace was a strong warrior. There are two phrases that describe it. He was a mighty man of valor and a man of war. The mighty man of valor probably grew out of David's reputation as a stalwart young man who fought off bears and lions by himself. In the 17th chapter, he gives testimony to the fact that he took on a lion and a bear all by himself and he won. A historian that I read this week has an interesting insight into the second phrase, that he was a man of war. This historian said that the Philistines who challenged the Israelites in the person of Goliath in the valley were also carrying on numerous border incidents around Palestine and that they would come into Palestine and raid 
And it is quite possible that David may have been caused to defend himself against one of the raiding Philistine parties while he was out in the field with his sheep. And he became known as somebody you don't want to mess with. He was a mighty man of valor and a man of war. Hmm. You know, uh, when you study the life of David, it's almost, you almost pull your hair out thinking about all the very things that he was able to do. I mean, you don't usually see great soldiers and great musicians in the same body. And uh, you don't see some of the things David was individually, and then he was a great artist. He was a tremendous warrior. He was a tremendous leader. Uh, Obviously, when you look at David, he really was a man for all seasons, and that's why his life is so intriguing to every one of us. And uh, that's why we're going to continue studying it now for these next few weeks as we look at the tender warrior. Hey, friends, we're going to Israel in March of next year. That's less than a year, believe it or not. That means we got to get after this. If you plan to go with us, the tour is March the 12th through the 22nd. And we'll be visiting Jerusalem, Galilee, the Dead Sea, the Jordan River. We'll be visiting all of the places everybody wants to go. Guest artist Michael Sanchez, Uriel Vega, and more artists to be announced. I hope you'll come and go with us, but please get your registration in as soon as you can. DavidJeremiah.org slash events is the place you need to go. We'll see you tomorrow. For more information on Dr. Jeremiah's series, The Tender Warrior, please visit our website. There you'll also find two free ways to help you stay connected, our monthly magazine, Turning Points, and our daily email devotional. Sign up today at davidjeremiah.ca slash radio. That's davidjeremiah.ca slash radio. Or call us at 800-946-4300. Ask for your copy of The Focus Life. A month of daily readings from Psalms and Proverbs in a beautiful leather-bound book. It's yours for a gift of any amount. You can also purchase the Jeremiah Study Bible in the English Standard, New International, and New King James versions with notes and articles from Dr. Jeremiah's decades of study. Get all the details when you visit our website at davidjeremiah.ca slash radio. This is David Michael Jeremiah. Join us tomorrow as we continue the series, The Tender Warrior, on Turning Point with Dr. David Jeremiah. If you enjoy listening to Turning Point with David Jeremiah, you will be happy to hear that there is now a daily Turning Point television broadcast that you can watch each weekday. Tune in to Faith TV, Joy TV, or Miracle Channel Monday through Friday to watch the Turning Point daily television broadcast. Be sure to check your local listings for the channel and time in your area. Or visit davidjeremiah.ca forward slash TV to download a program schedule or watch at your convenience. That website again is davidjeremiah.ca forward slash TV. If you're looking to enhance your personal or group Bible study, look no further than the Jeremiah Bible Study Series. In each volume, Dr. David Jeremiah helps you understand what the Bible says and how to apply it. Along the way, you will gain insights into the text, identify key themes, and be challenged to apply the truth found in Scripture to your life. Get your copy today. Learn more at davidjeremiah.ca slash study. That's davidjeremiah.ca slash study. A visitor to a small Mediterranean village asked an old man on the dock, What is the death rate in your village? The old gentleman replied, Well, so far, it's 100%. 
No, the visitor replied, I mean, how many deaths take place here? The old man thought for a moment and said, well, it seems to be one per person. The old man was having a bit of fun with the visitor, but his answers were true nonetheless. The New Testament says, it is appointed unto man once to die, then comes the judgment. The real question is, are we ready for what's coming? This is David Jeremiah encouraging you to get on the road to new life. Discover God's answer to death on Route 66. Route 66, driving the word home. Log on to Route66life.com and get your roadmap for life. That's Route66life.com. Route 66, start your journey home today.